Well, good morning. Um, thank you so much. Lighthouse sent me to clean up all of Wayne's messes that he left. Um, it is really, really good to be here uh, to worship with you. And like Pastor Henry mentioned, um, I'm from the city. I grew up on 22nd and Irving. Uh, Dana is my sister. Um, so she'd be very gratified to know that I was introduced as her brother. And I am not, that she is not David's sister. She'll be very thankful for that. So let's keep that wording the same for second service too. Um, and, uh, and I feel like, I feel like I know a ton of you already. Uh, like, I, I feel like pretty much like, I don't know, I probably went to school with a lot of you guys. Um, and I feel like in, in so many ways coming back to, even to this church, even though I didn't attend it, uh, when I was here in San Francisco, coming back here does feel like home in so many ways. I feel like I walked through the doors and, and I, I get you guys. I get what's going on here, and I'm so thankful for the gospel ministry uh, that is taking place here. So greetings from Lighthouse Community Church in Torrance. We're so thankful uh, for what you guys are doing here in, a, in the, city, the city, a city which greatly needs the gospel and Jesus Christ um, to, to redeem it and reign over it. So let me pray for us as we look at God's word uh, this morning. Father, we thank you so much. Uh, that, that, that we as a church family, that we as the body of Christ can gather every week to celebrate and rehearse the gospel together. Um, then even as we sang songs and read scripture and gave of our offerings and, and greeted one another, all these gods are, are fruits and evidence of the power of the gospel at work in this body of believers. And so now, God, we eagerly uh, anticipate the hearing from your word and pray that you would speak to us in this passage and that you would allow us to see and savor Jesus Christ more clearly and faithfully. And then out of that, out of that, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths would speak, our hands would serve and love, and our voices would sing. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> um, I, I, again, I, I really am thankful for, uh, for this church in so many ways. Um, and I, I readily, whenever people ask me, like, where, what churches would you recommend uh, in San Francisco, this is always at the top of my list. Um, and I, and I, I wonder, like, if you, you're talking to the people around you, and you're evangelizing your community, and you're talking with friends and coworkers and family, and you're talking about this church, I wonder how it is that you would describe it. Like, just imagine, right? You're going to go to, you know, after church is over, you go back home, and, or you're at work tomorrow, and someone asks you, oh, so what you do this weekend? I said, oh, I went to church. So, oh, what church do you go to? So, oh, I go to SF Bible. So, oh, I've heard of that church. What's it like? How would you answer that question? So maybe, you know, this, it's a complicated question, right? They can tell that you hesitate because it's, and so they get more, they're gracious and they get more specific. And so maybe they ask you, what are the people like? And you say, well, you know, they're, they're loving and they're humble, and they're gracious. And so what's the preaching there like? Well, it's biblical, it's clear, it's gospel-centered. What's the attire like? Well, for all of you, it's as comfortable as you want to be. Uh, for the pastors, it feels like a very different thing. So I technically was not told to wear a suit today. No one ever told me that. So I did think, man, is it one of those things that's better to ask for forgiveness and permission to show up in my normal attire, like shorts and flip-flops? But, you know, we're going to we'll roll with it today. And maybe, maybe they ask you, what's the musical worship like? And you think, well, the musicians are so talented, I really like the songs that they play. This gal, this guy, they've got a great voice. This leader's so gifted. The sound system is too loud, or maybe the sound system is not loud enough, depending on which end of the spectrum you're on. But I wonder if your answer would ever be the SF Bible loves to sing. Would that ever be a way that you would describe this church? The people of SF Bible are a singing people. 
you know, when we think of musical worship in the church, we tend to think of it as something that other people do, right? After all, just think of the ways we use the word worship, right? There's a worship team, right? And they're up here, right? They're the ones being amplified and definitely not us on, in, the, in the sanctuary. There's a whole system in place to make them louder, not you, and many of you are very thankful for that. We listen to worship albums and worship music that are produced by other people. And we get to be along for the ride, and we participate, but when we think of music, it's oftentimes something that we enjoy other people doing. But I wonder if we realize that when it comes to musical worship, God's main calling is not for the specialized few or the professionals. The privilege of singing belongs to all of God's people. If you are a Christian... You were created and called to be a singer. We have the greatest subject to sing about. We have the greatest person to sing to. Saved people are singing people. Saved people are singing people. The most important members of SF Bible's worship ministry are you, the members of the body of Christ. Your voices are the most important instrument in the worship ministry of this church. And so the measure of musical worship at SF Bible has less to do with the talent on the stage or the production level of the service. It has more to do with you. Do you sing? How do you sing? And why do you sing? This morning, we're going to be talking about what it means for this church to be a singing community. And my hope is very simple. It's going to seem very obvious. I hope that you become better singers. And not just that you sound better but that you would be more passionate, more thoughtful, more worshipful singers. We want to to be able to exalt Christ in all that we are, and that includes our singing. So a lot of times as you're thinking about the application of God's word and preaching, you have to wait for the service to be done, right? It's like, oh man, I just heard a service, I got this great message about loving someone, I'm really convicted, I got to go home and love them. Or I'm really convicted about being more faithful at work, so when I get in on Monday, right, I got to really put this into practice, but... The nice thing about this message is that we'll get to put into application right away. And so after this sermon, we're going to have a chance to respond in singing. And I'm very much looking forward to singing with all of you after hearing God's word. And but my hope is beyond just singing in service is that your understanding of singing and practice of singing would extend into other parts of your life. That as a worshiper, you will sing in your homes. That you're going to sing with your families. That you're going to sing in your discipleship. You'll sing in your counseling. You'll sing in your friendships. And in order to do this this morning, I want us to turn to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. It's a very short psalm. But it's an invitation for the people of God to come before God in worship. And in this psalm, we're going to see a multifaceted expression of what our worship should look like. But what lies at the heart of it is singing. And the psalm casts an incredible picture of what our singing should look like as believers. So this broadly, what we're going to look at is two reasons why SF Bible should be a singing community. Okay, two reasons why SF Bible should be a singing community from this passage. But let's read Psalm 100. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. 
So again, two reasons why SF Bible should be a singing community. And here's the first reason. Sing because God commands you to. Sing because God commands you to. Looking at the psalm, one of the things that should immediately jump out at you is how many commands there are. Make a joyful noise. Serve. Come. Enter. Give thanks. No. And this seems like a very basic observation, but one of the simplest reasons why we should sing is simply because God tells us to. This isn't a suggestion. Right? This isn't an evite, right, where you can choose that super unhelpful answer. Maybe, you know, no one's helped by that answer in an evite. Be committal. This is a command. And it has the same weight behind it as do not murder, do not steal. There are more than 400 references to singing in the Bible and at least 50 direct commands. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that if you are not singing, you're sinning. If you're not singing, you're sinning. So why should we sing? It's because God commands us to. Now, for some people, audible singing is not an option because they're physically limited. Or what about those that are nonverbal or have some kind of physiological restriction? Aside from overseeing worship ministry and communication, the other area of ministry overseas is disability ministry in our church. And we have, I think, now 16 families with disabilities. Um, and I think it's like 18 kids or so that are various disabilities. Most of them have autism. And uh, there are a number of our, of our, of our you know, uh, disability families or disability kids that are nonverbal. They just cannot speak. They cannot sing. And yet when they're in our worship services, they're, they're clapping and they're dancing and they're moving around and they're making whatever noises they can. And they're trying to let out what is inside of them. They're trying to get the, the, the internal worship of their heart out into, out into the world in some way, even if it can't come out in their voice. And those are some of my favorite moments of worship. So there are and so people with speech impairments, they might sign lyrics to songs as the rest of us sing. People with nonverbal autism, they might be clapping and moving because their joy just needs an outlet. So writing and mouthing and moving, they're all expressions of obedience to the command to offer our songs to God. But my guess is that for most of us, that is not something we're limited by. <clears throat> and we don't have that same kind of excuse. And I realize for some of us, God commanding us to sing is about as satisfying a reason to us as it is for our kids, right? When, we, when they ask us why they need to listen to us. Like, why do I need to clean my room, right? Why can't I go out with my friends? And all the parents in the room said, because I said so, right? It wasn't gratifying for our kids. It definitely isn't gratifying for us. And yes, we sing because God said so, but there is so much more to it than that. God never gives us commands without cause. He never gives us direction without his devotion to us. And if he tells us to do something, it must be for our good. So why is the command to sing a good command? Out of all the means of praising and worshiping God, why does he make singing such a priority? So why singing? That's a couple of reasons, at least a few. One is that singing gives us a fuller expression of our worship. Because singing gives us a fuller expression of our worship. A truth that is spoken is wonderful and true. But a song can take that same truth and give it incredible depth and dimension. On one hand, singing is wonderfully simple. 
is something every child does, but at the same time, it's wonderfully complex. There's melody and harmony and rhythm and dynamics and poetry and physicality and beauty and tension and mood. And there's a complexity that allows for a fuller-bodied response to who God is and what he has done. There's a reason why a love song feels more significant than a love text. I mean, they, they express the same idea, but with different levels of complexity and depth. A text is great, but the song can take something that's 2D and black and white and make it 3D in HDR color with like Dolby Atmos surround sound. John Piper says this about singing. He says, the reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotions that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms or even poetic readings. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry, and some demand that poetry be stretched into song. Singing is the Christian's way of saying, God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling, and talking will not suffice. There must be singing. There are probably some of you who saw the title of today's message in the bulletin, and you died a little inside, right? Because some of you, like, singing is just not something you don't feel very comfortable with. You're not a music guy. You're not a music girl. This isn't the thing that you're associated with. You didn't grow up doing it. Your parents definitely didn't sing to you. You don't feel like a great singer. It's not like you hate it. You're happy to watch it. You love listening to it. And you're, you're really enjoying other people doing it well. It's not that singing's a bad thing for you. It's just not for you. But can I challenge you with something? I mean, instead of asking, what am I comfortable with and limiting yourself to that, are you asking yourself, what has God done in my life? Has he done anything that's worth singing about? And if you're a Christian, he most certainly has. There are things that God has done in your life that cannot merely be spoken about. They must be sung. I'm so thankful for the brothers and sisters in my church that are completely tone deaf completely tone deaf and they just cannot carry a tune in a bucket you know their bucket is just leaky and full of holes and whatever tone is in there just just spilling out everywhere they go right they just cannot sing to 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 save their life and yet when we talked about this in our service what i found was i could hear these guys louder in the service afterwards and they came up to me and they said i don't know if if is this how i'm supposed to apply this message and i said absolutely because you are experiencing the love of God. You, have, you are a, a recipient of the gospel. You are a child of God. You have so many things to sing about. And I'm so thankful that you care more about what God thinks about than what other people think about. And sometimes I, maybe I'm thinking they should think a little bit more about what other people think about. But I'm thankful for their singing. So singer, singing gives us a fuller expression of our worship. And singing also helps us to remember God's word. Singing helps us remember God's word. God created music to have this incredible power to bury truth just a little bit deeper into who we are. And music and memory go hand in hand. And some of you can't remember what you ate for breakfast this morning, but you can remember all the words to that album that you just had on repeat in high school. It's just there. You can remember every part of it, right? And all you need is just like a couple beats, a couple notes, and you're just there. You're transported back into that moment of time. Part of the reason why God made music And why he made us responsive to music is so that he would have another vehicle to drive his word into our hearts and our minds. Colossians 3.16. 
It says that let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. That's the object of the spirit-filled life, is having the word of Christ live in us and impact us and influence us. And yet, how does it happen? As we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Right? And I know this is the criteria for the songs that you choose here at SF Bible. Um, And just the songs we sang even this morning. So thankful for Vincent and his wisdom and the songs that he chose. Because beyond you know, questions of what's the style of the song or is it fast or slow, the first question we ought to consider when we're looking at a song is does it accurately convey the truth of Scripture? Because God has given us this incredibly powerful tool in singing that has the ability to drive ideas deeper into who you are and you have to make sure that those ideas are God's ideas, that they come out of his word. And some of us enjoy our times of musical worship because of how it makes us feel, right? We love that emotional high. We love the passion of the moment. We love, and, and both emotion and passion, they're good and right and wonderful. But what is it that you're emotional about? What is it that you're passionate about? And is it the truth of God's word and what it tells us about who God is? You know, parents, I think this is one of the most helpful discipleship tools that we have. Are we singing with our kids? And you know, Because as we're singing biblically rich songs with and to our kids, we're taking God's truth and driving it into their minds and their hearts. And I will confess uh, that this is not something that I do enough of, which is really embarrassing to say as the worship pastor of my church. But in our family, there, there are times when we formally sit down and we sing. And we say, this is what we're doing, right? And it's tough because two of our kids can't read yet. And so, like, we're singing these songs. And I don't know what they're getting, right? But I'm just trying, but beyond that, I'm just trying to make singing part of the atmosphere of our home. Where music is just in the air, right? And so we sing tons of secular songs. And, like, Disney songs are on repeat all the time, you know? And, but I'm trying to find these times where I can just have Songs that are reflecting the truth of God just in the air in our household. So we, we do play worship music in the background. And, but I just find myself telling myself, okay, I think I need to just sing out loud now. Not super, like, it feels super awkward. And it doesn't always feel like the appropriate moment. But it's like, okay, I think we're just going to try to sing right now. And honestly, the time where I felt like I had a captive audience with my girls especially was when I'm drying their hair. And my oldest daughter, Abby, she's just like a wookie, just like a huge head full of hair. And I know that when I'm drying her hair, I've got at least seven to eight minutes. And so I can get through two good songs, right, if I'm drying her hair. And so I'm just sitting there just singing songs. And you know what? Like, after a while, like, I can hear her singing along with me. I, the hairdryer's going. I don't know what she's singing. For all I know, she's just singing, like, you know, Disney songs over the tune. But I'm just going to take it that she's not being super heretical at that moment. But... Regardless of what season of life you are as a family, are you singing together? Well, what a great way to drive God's truth into your hearts. So that's why we sing, but how are we supposed to sing? How are we supposed to sing? I think there are at least five descriptors in this passage. First, we see that we're supposed to sing corporately. We have all these commands to worship God in the psalm, but what's hard to see in the English is that all these commands are plural. This is not a command for me to make a joyful noise. It's a command for us to make a joyful noise. It's not a command for me to serve the Lord. It's a command for us to serve the Lord. Our singing, our worship is meant to be corporate. Now, of course, it is okay to sing by yourself. If you're in the car, just go for it. Get your carpool karaoke on. Let that thing go on blast. But this idea of corporate singing is something that we don't think about enough. 
but it's something you see all throughout Scripture. And this is something that is so consistent with every command in Scripture to sing. It's, it's corporate. Singing is mostly seen as something that we do together. We're told in Ephesians 5.19 that we're to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And that's weird, isn't it? That we address one another with our songs. I mean, shouldn't we be addressing God, right? Isn't he the person we're supposed to be singing to? Like, yeah, of course he is, ultimately. But at the same time, we are addressing one another. Because as I hear you sing, I am hearing you proclaim the glory of God. And I am spurred on by your singing. And do you see your singing as something that you are doing with fellow believers? I think in our culture, we tend to see singing as an individual thing. Even in a worship service. Um, I don't know what your practice is. My back was to you. I have no idea what, it, what you guys look like when you're singing. But I know for a long time, uh, and in many circles, what's really common is you go into a, the, you know, the sanctuary, the worship center, the music starts, and the lights dim, right? And your eyes close, you know? And you kind of think of it, this is just me and my time with the Lord. I just want to shut everything out. I just want to be, so I just want to be me and my, you know, me and personal Jesus time. But I want to encourage you to, to, to be thinking, how can I be aware of the fact that I am with other people? How can I be aware of the fact that I'm singing with and to fellow laborers in the gospel, my brothers and sisters in Christ? And again, this is not like a, you know, the 11th commandment here, but like for me personally, one of the things that I find myself doing is I try to keep my eyes open now because I want to be able to see people. I want to be able to look across the sanctuary and know, oh, I'm so thankful this person's here. And I'm so thankful that they're singing truth to me. In our sanctuary, we, don't, we deliberately don't dim the lights a ton so we can see each other. We try to keep the volume at a level that encourages our, our congregation to sing. And, it, and it's not in the, So the primary thing you hear is the congregation and not the instrumentation. I think you guys do a great job of that here. So we sing corporately. The second way we sing is we sing joyfully. We sing joyfully. Look again at verse 1 of the psalm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. There ought to be a smile on your face and a joy in your heart when you're singing. When you're singing, does your face belong on the face, on on a person standing in line at the DMV? Or does it belong to someone who's been made a child of the living God? Psalm 34, 5 says, Those who look to the Lord are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. When you sing, will the people next to you describe your face as radiant? When we sing glorious truth, it should be accompanied with joy. And we sang great songs this morning. And can I show you what hypocrisy looks like? Here it is. May the people praise you. Have the nations be glad for your blessings come praise I praise the name of Jesus. That's hypocrisy. To be proclaiming the great grace of Jesus Christ and to feel nothing and to express nothing. Now that doesn't always mean that you're gonna have a smile 
plastered to your face or you have to be in denial about the real hardships of life. The Psalms look suffering square in the eye and and you are free to lament and to mourn and, and to hurt. But when we sing, we do it with hope. So yeah, we sing joyfully and yes, we smile. We can smile even through tears because we know the one who is with us. I've said a lot of really dumb things as a pastor. So many things that like, I wish that now that I see the words like leaving in my mouth, like, no, I've come back. And, but one of the worst things I've ever said as a worship leader, you come in and maybe the worship leader does like an opening spiel, welcoming everybody. He's, hey, welcome, come on in. And one of the worst things I've ever said is, hey, come on in. And if you're here to worship, man, just leave your troubles at the door. You know, just, just leave them out there. Just come on in and just be, you know, just be in the Lord's presence. And if you've ever said that, I'm not bagging on you. You know, I'm not, I'm not keeping track of people who say these kinds of things. But the reason why I think it was maybe super unhelpful is because where else are people supposed to bring their troubles? Where else are people supposed to bring their suffering? Where else are they going to be able to try to bolster their hearts with truth, with the body of Christ, if they aren't going to bring it into corporate worship and they aren't going to be able to express these songs with hurt and hope? So if you are suffering, if you are in pain, if you are mourning, if you are in loss, then bring all of it with you and sing these songs joyfully and let them be a balm to your soul. So we sing joyfully. We also sing loudly. We sing loudly. The psalmist tells us to make a joyful noise. And some of you are thinking, that's a really good description of what my singing sounds like. It's definitely a noise. That's what my wife tells me. This is a loud declaration. This is a celebratory shout at the coming of a king. You know, beloved, we have something to get loud about. We have someone to get loud about. God is not deserving of muffled mumbles. He is deserving of our loudest cheers. That's why clapping is appropriate in corporate worship. And I was asking Joe about this, you know, before I came. He's like, do you guys clap, you know, at, at the Bible? And, and he said, you know, it's not like it's discouraged, but, you know, it's not something that, like, is done a whole lot. And that's totally fine. You know, that's fine. At our church, like, like, I don't know what it is about Asian culture where you're just not sure if, it's like, this is the right thing to do, right? And so it's almost like they're waiting for the worship leader to say, okay, you can clap now. And, you know, and... And, and so they literally have to do this, where they say, okay, if you feel comfortable, you may clap during this song. And then we're like, okay, yeah, sure, we got it, we're on it, right? And, and so, like, the first time I ever preached this message, I, I said, okay, let this be a line in the sand. From this day forth, Lighthouse Community Church is a clapping church. You don't need to ask for permission. And so I'll submit to whatever Pastor Henry says about the condition here, you know. But, but... Whatever it is, like, you ought to be willing to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And by the way, if you're clapping, clap on the two and the four. Okay, two and the four. <laughs> Super hard for Chinese people to get, but two and the four. Now, this is really uncomfortable. This same goes for hand-raising, right? It's a fuller expression of who God is, right? Now, if you're making noise when you're raising your hands, you should probably get that checked out. There's other things going on there for you. And this is really uncomfortable for some of you. I'm, I'm worried, you know. I'm worried that someone... Like, hear me? Yeah. They're, you want them to hear you. They're supposed to hear you. Your fellow brothers and sisters might hear you. 
And they, they might be spurred on by your singing of truth and your passionate declaration of goodness, of the goodness and glory of God. Of course they should hear you. Of course they should see you. But only if you sing loudly. There's, uh, again, another gal in our disability ministry. Her name's Lonnie, and she's a, I think she's a sophomore in high school now. And she comes into our worship services for the music portion, and then she goes out to a separate area for the teaching portion. And you can always tell when Lonnie's there. She's there in our first service. You can always tell because she's reading the words, but she reads it about five seconds slower than where the song is. And, and you can hear her all the way across the room. And every time we pray, no matter who's praying, she shouts out amen at the end of it. And it just brings me to tears just like almost every time I hear her because I'm so thankful for the joy she has in the Lord and the willingness she has to express all that she feels about who God is in her life. And it puts me to shame for all the times I'm worried about what other people think of me. We sing, we sing joyfully. We also sing humbly. We sing humbly. Look at verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. The word serve here is often found in the context of worship. And it's the idea of submitting yourself to the authority of a master. And do you see singing that way? That you are in an act of humble submission. That you're coming before a king and you are singing to him truth about him. And do you have a humble desire to be obedient to the truth that you're singing? As you're singing, it should be moving you towards confession and repentance and faith and obedience. And so you're singing, Jesus, be glorified. Jesus, be magnified. Here at the altar, my life is an offering. And the state of your heart is like, yeah, God, I want this. I want this to be true. I want to fight the idolatry in my heart that competes for your glory. I'm confessing the ways that I magnify myself rather than Christ. And we sing humbly in a state of submission. We ought to sing thankfully. Sing thankfully. Look at verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Our singing should be filled with thankfulness. And there's this parallelism between thanksgiving and praise. Because gratitude is one of the richest ways that we can express our praise towards somebody. Because what gratitude is, is, is it points you to a need that you had that somebody else fulfilled. Right? If we go out to lunch later today and you buy me lunch, I'm grateful to you because I didn't have a lunch. And you met that need. And that's the core dynamic of the Christian life. We have a need. And God meets that need. That's the rhythm of the Christian life every day. That's the only dynamic we have with God. Is we have needs. God meets those needs. When we think about how little we have, how little we are, and we see who God is and how he's met our need time and time again. It should overflow our hearts with gratitude and thankfulness. And it should propel us to sing. And so do you want to be a better singer? Then maybe start by being more thankful. And we grow in thankfulness by looking back at who God is and what he has done. And that leads us to our second big reason to sing. Our second big reason to sing. And that is to sing because God has revealed himself to you. God has revealed himself to you. <coughs> verses 1 and 2 and verse 4, they're filled with commands to sing. In verses 3 and 5, they give us the reasons to sing. 
And what we see is that the command to sing is ultimately rooted in God revealing himself to us. This is always true. True worship is always a response to revelation. Right? If we're just standing around, you know, no one's talking about anything in particular, and I just give a weird loud shout, yeah, awesome. It's like you would probably take a couple steps back. You know, it's like there's something a little off with this guy. You'd probably be pretty confused at the very least. But if we're watching the Niners, woohoo! You know, if we're watching the Niners and and, we, we're, and they you know they make it to the Super Bowl and they win everything and we're all together, it's like yeah, awesome. You have a context for understanding that because you know what is being revealed in front of us. My response makes sense in light of what is happening in front of me. And singing only makes sense when you understand who God is in front of us and who he's revealed himself to be. That is Christian worship. God reveals himself and we respond. God shows up and we sing. And that's why there's the command in verse 3 to know. Know that the Lord, he is God. The psalmist wants us to understand that our singing comes from our seeing. If we truly know God, if we know who he is, and we know what he's done, then we're going to sing. So who is this God that has revealed himself to us? Who is this God that we're supposed to know? This passage reveals a number of different things. First, we see that he's our creator. He's our creator. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, he's our, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. God reveals himself to us as the one who made us. He's the one who fashioned us. He's the one who created us. You're not a random outcome of genetic chance. You're not a bag of cells and chemicals. You are a special creation of the sovereign of the universe. And you are the image bearer of God himself. He knows every hair on your head, every secret of the heart, because he made you. And because he made you, he owns you. That's why we sing in humble submission. It's because we're singing to the one who has all rights over and against us. He made the world, so he makes the rules. Our singing reorients us to the fact that we're creatures and that he's the creator. There's an infinite distance that exists between creator and creature. He is infinite and we are finite. He is all-powerful and we are terribly weak. He is in need of nothing and we are in need of everything. But even that infinite distance is compounded because he's a holy creator and we're a sinful creation. He made the world, so he makes the rules, and we have broken those rules. We have rejected him as king. We've turned away from the one who made us and loves us, and that's what sin is, is a rejection of who God is, is a turning away from God as the one who made us for him and turning to other things in the world for our satisfaction and delight. And so now the distance between us is not just that of creator and creature, but between a judge and a criminal. We deserve to be cast out from God's presence to face his just wrath for our sin. And that's what makes the next revelation of who God is so incredible. That he's not just the creator. He's also our savior. He's our savior. Despite the chasm that sin creates, God was willing to cross that chasm. He was willing and able to bridge the gap and mend the relationship between himself and his sinful creation. And how does he do that? 
He does it through the cross of Jesus Christ. He sends Jesus Christ down to earth to live the perfect life that we were unable to live and to go to die on the cross. And on the cross, he suffers the wrath that we deserve in our place. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he is absorbing every bit of anger and wrath that we deserve because of our sin. And he absorbs it as our substitute, as the one who takes our punishment in our place. And three days later, he is raised from the dead as a promise of new life and victory over sin and death. The creator becomes the savior. And when he does, he reconciles our relationship to God in incredible ways. These two statements at the end of verse 3 are beautiful pictures of what God does for us when he saves us. Look again at verse 3. It says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It says, we are his people. This means that we're his special possession. You know, my wife and my three kids are going to come for a second service. And if you're hanging around, I'd love for them to meet you guys. And if I introduce you to them and I introduce you to, you know, Jamie and Abby and Sophie and Owen and say, hey, these are my people. You get what that means. These aren't just anyone's people. These are my people. And I have a relationship with them that doesn't belong to anybody else. They're my people. We are God's people. We are God's covenant people. Adopted into a family through the blood of Christ. We're part of the family of God with a perfect heavenly father, a church family here at the Bible and across the globe. And we're also the sheep of this pasture. This is a really familiar metaphor in scripture of God being the shepherd, caring for us as his flock. And this may not feel like a particularly helpful picture for you, like we're like livestock on God's farming complex. But if a shepherd, right, if a shepherd cared for a sheep the same way I care for like the fish in my fish tank, like I'd be really worried. But we have to remember the depth and care that shepherds exercise in this culture. A shepherd knew and loved his sheep. And just think of Psalm 23, just the, just the introductory line of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, you finish it, want. If God is our shepherd, then we'll want for nothing. To have the Lord as our shepherd is to have him meet our every need. Is to have a settled peace that everything that is required of us, the shepherd will provide. And Jesus himself picks up this imagery in the New Testament in John 10. And he identifies himself in saying, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. We have a Savior shepherd who has provided for our every need. And he laid his life down so that he would provide for our greatest need our need for forgiveness of sin, to be restored in right relationship to God. I mean, have you seen that in your life? And you know what you were before you were a Christian. You know exactly who you were. And you know exactly what God has saved you out of. And think of the ways that God has met that need again and again and again and again. He may not have always given you what you wanted, but he always gave you what you needed. Who wouldn't want to sing about that? And he also reveals himself as the one who will love us faithfully to the end. 
He'll love us faithfully to the end. Look at verse five. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. It's a four here, right? This is looking back to the previous command to come to God with thankfulness. Why should we be thankful? Four, because God is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. I love the word that's translated in the ESV as steadfast love. Other translations might have loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word hesed. And it speaks to God's undying, unbreaking, faithful, covenant love. This is the kind of love where when God makes a promise to somebody, he will never break that promise. This is not a fleeting love or a conditional love or a limited love. This is the unshakable love of a righteous God who never breaks a promise and he has promised to love you faithfully to the end. He will love you faithfully through every sin in your life. Are you ever tempted to doubt God's love for you? I mean, your sin, it seems so powerful. It seems so terrible. And if anyone saw you, you'd wonder how they could possibly love you, let alone God that surely God would be justified in in giving up on you. But beloved, his steadfast love endures forever. God's love is not conditioned on your ability to stop sinning. If you've placed your faith in Christ, if if you're a child of God, then God's love faithfully endures in your sin so you can overcome that sin by grace. How should we respond? And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. He will love you through every moment of sin and he will love you faithfully through every moment of suffering. And God's faithful love for us extends into the hardest parts of life. And Psalm 23 tells us that we shall not want, we will lack for nothing that we need, but we may still walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But the promise of God's steadfast love is that he is in the midst of that valley with you. He's not forsaken you. He's not forgotten you. And in fact, he may take you deliberately in his wise sovereignty through that valley so that you can know all the more the comfort of his rod and his staff. That he wants you to know that he's accomplishing something in your suffering. He's purifying and refining your faith. He's, he's awakening you, increasing to the fact that he is what you need. He's drawing you nearer to him. I and mean, what suffering are you enduring now? Is it a difficult relationship? Infertility? It's hardship at work? Chronic illness? You know, discontent in your singleness? A strained marriage? And do you doubt God's love for you in that? And beloved, do you see that he's loving you faithfully through your suffering? So how should we respond? Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. 
As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have need of his hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Beloved, why should we sing? How can we not sing? And this is our God. This is our creator. This is our savior. This is the one whose love will never fail. How can we not be so overwhelmed with worship and awe and thankfulness and joy and and, and not explode from us in song? What other option do you have, Christian? There are truths that cannot merely be spoken. They must be sung. There are realities too great to be held in. They must burst out in singing. SF Bible, may you be a singing people because you are a saved people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the ways you revealed yourself to us. That you revealed yourself to us to be our creator. The one who has made us. The one who rules over us. And yet in our sin, we find ourselves at odds with you. But we thank you that you have revealed yourself to be our savior as well that we have been rescued from our sin, that we have been given a vision of Christ to see that he is who we need and he is the one for whom we were made. And God, we thank you that your faithful love extends to us in our deepest moments of sin and suffering. And God, we are eager to respond. We are eager to respond with singing both here in this service, in the, in the moment, quiet moments of our lives, in the, uh, in the informal moments of our families, in the formal moments with our families, in our friendships and relationships. We want to express the fullness of our joy and delight in you. God, thank you for the gift of music. And would you use it in this church to magnify the name of Jesus Christ. In his great name we pray. Amen.